So I want to been given the assignment to preach tonight, and I've been excited about this message. I, I just kind of rushed through this morning because I really wanted to preach this message this morning uh, because it's just, a, it's just something that I just uh, really bore witness with. And so uh, Pastor John just read our text from Colossians that says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And I want to spend a little bit of time today, uh, this evening, talking about three things I learned from a turkey. Three lessons, three life lessons I learned from turkeys. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving is a secular holiday. It has really no specific ties to the liturgical calendar like Easter or Christmas would. Uh, however, Thanksgiving, I believe, is deeply rooted in biblical principles it's the very heart. When we think about Thanksgiving, we think about being grateful to God, singing the song we just sang a few moments ago, giving thanks to God. He is our everything. But I, I'm just going to be honest with you. When I start thinking about Thanksgiving, one of the first things that I think about is turkey. I mean, is that not right? Is that not what you think? I think about turkey. I think about dressing. Yes, I'm thankful for all the things that God has done for me. But my first thought, and I think you can look at me and tell, goes to the things that you have at Thanksgiving that you never get to eat any other time of the year. My dad was not a big thank, uh, turkey guy, and so the only time that we had turkey was at Thanksgiving. No other time was it in our household. It was barred. It was, it was not allowed. And, uh, and, and so when I think about Thanksgiving, I, I often think about turkeys. There's a lot of lessons in life that I believe that we can learn from a turkey. I, I heard the story the other day that the Butterball Turkey Company had a hotline for consumers that had questions about their turkey. You know, you don't cook it very often. Sometimes you may have questions about how to, uh, to cook the turkey. And so they set up this hotline in which you could call in and ask about any question that you had about your butterball turkey. And so one lady called in and she says, my butterball turkey has been in the freezer for 23 years. Would it be okay to go ahead and eat this? And the operator said, well, you know, I really don't even know how to answer this question. I do know that, that what I'm reading here tells me that if it's kept at, uh, at zero degrees the entire time or below, that it would be safe. And I don't really know if this is going to be safe after 23 years or, or not. But what I do know is that the flavor is going to deteriorate after 23 years. And she said, you know what? That's exactly what I thought. I'm going to go ahead and give it to the church. You know, according to the website that I was looking at, 88% of Americans eat turkey at Thanksgiving. Are you one of those? How many, no hams in the house? We're all turkey. Okay. Both. I like that idea. 730 million pounds of turkey. 250 million turkeys are raised to sacrifice their life for this one moment in our calendar. I don't know if you know this, but there's been official pardons of turkeys. Uh, it kind of dates back unofficially all the way back to the Truman years and his administration. But however, Ronald Reagan was the first person to officially 
pardon a turkey for Thanksgiving back in 1987. And then that tradition has kind of followed through. I want to look tonight at some things that I personally learned from turkeys. Lesson number one, and it's in your bulletin if you want to take notes and jot some things down there. A good pencil is better than a short memory. Lesson number one, don't let others define you. Don't let others define you. I, I, I know that most people, when you think about turkeys, you think that they are stupid animals. All turkeys are kind of raised to end up on the table. And so we don't think of them as very smart creatures. In fact, when you look the word turkey up in the dictionary, and I'm sure that you've done that quite often, you'll see that the, that the term is actually defined as a slang term for stupid, naive, and an inept person. I like this, a dud. Do we call people duds anymore? That's something my dad would say, you're a dud, right? And that's the idea that we have about turkeys. But what I found out is there's absolutely zero scientific evidence that turkeys are dumb. In fact, they are highly, they're not a parrot, they're not talking, but they're highly intelligent birds. In fact, science proves that and has made it clear that turkeys are actually pretty smart. We also believe that turkeys can't fly. I don't know where this came from, but turkeys can fly. Don't know where that myth came from. But in fact, while turkeys can fly up to speeds of 55 miles per hour, thank God we raise ours on a farm or we'd never get any eating done. And just like turkeys, we live in a world that has formulated opinions about Christ followers like you and I, and opinions about the church that are not formulated with science or fact. They have ideas about who we are and about the Christian faith that are absolutely not true. And I believe that there's nothing more foundational in the Christian life but for us believers to understand our position in Christ, to understand who we really are and to live that out in our daily lives so that people can remove the assumptions, remove what they think is factual, and see what a genuine Christian Christ follower is. Where's our position? Where do we stand with Christ? If you don't know who you are in Christ, you don't know if you're guilty or, or you're innocent. You don't know if you're debtors or you're free. You don't know if you're lost or you're found. And these things make a huge difference, especially in the light of eternity. Ephesians says in chapter 2, But God being rich in his mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even while we were in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and to sit with him in heavenly praises in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith that is not your own doing, but the gift of God. No matter what people try to label you as a Christ follower, we know that by God's grace, we have been saved. If it was not for the grace of God, 
where would you be? If it was not for the grace of God, where would I be? Thank the Lord for his grace. Lesson number two, family is important. I don't know if you know this, but turkeys brood their young. They shelter them. The mother shelters them under their wings at night for warmth. During the days, they do the exact same thing for comfort. And uh, although they tend to nest on the ground, they do this and they protect them until they're able to take flight because normally at night, they get up into the trees where it's safe from predators. And young turkeys rely exclusively on their mothers from the first few months until they're able to fly. Now, I know that you came tonight thinking, man, I didn't know I was going to get a turkey lesson. But turkey hens actually communicate to their chicks while they're still in the egg. Now, I don't know what kind of music that you like, and I don't know what uh, you know, what side of your radio dial? Do we have radio dials anymore? Maybe I'm dating myself. I don't know what is your specific flavor, but I grew up loving Southern gospel music. I don't know if you know this, but when we get to heaven, there's going to be a piano and four microphones. That's how I see heaven. I don't know. And that's just how, that's the music that I was, I was raised and cut my teeth on. And, and I wanted to make sure, because you know how sometimes you can raise a kid and it can be yours, but it doesn't turn out anything like you. And so I wanted to make sure that my daughter loves Southern gospel music. So every night from the moment that I found out my wife was pregnant, I would sing to her belly. Every night I would sing two songs. I would sing a Kingsman song because the Kingsman is the best quartet on the planet. And I would sing the old chorus, peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above. Might remember it. Every night I sang those two songs to her. And when she was born and she would be fussy, I would grab her out of the crib and I would sit in my rocking chair and I would say, go and tell somebody what the Lord can do. And that baby would quiet down. And she may be the only 20-year-old that I know that loves Southern gospel music. It worked. It worked. She loves all kinds of music, but it works. But there's an amazing thing about the mama turkey because it teaches them that when she makes a certain noise that these, these little turkeys will flee to safety until she makes another distinctive noise so that they would come out when it's safe. I was amazed by this. I thought, how many of our kids actually listen to us that well? Because I know we squawk at them sometimes. Romans chapter 12 says this. Though we are many, we are one body. And we're individually members of one another. When I think about the family, not only do I think about my family, but I think about the family of God. Because the church is not a building. That's obvious. We're in a baseball facility, for heaven's sakes. And people get saved in here, and lives are changed in this building. We, we knock it home every Sunday. Many of you wonder if we're Pentecostal, if we run the bases. We've been known to do that, too. It's okay. But the church is not a building. It's a family. It's a family of believers. 
When I grew up, we called each other brother and sister. Brother, you know, somebody asked me one time, what's, what's Sister Mary's name? And I said, Sister Mary. What's her first name? Sister. What's her last name? I think it's Mary. Well, that's her first name. What's her last name? Mary, Sister Mary. That's all we knew her. It was a sign of respect, but it was also a constant reminder I know it may seem passe, it may seem outdated, but it was a constant reminder that we were a part of a bigger family. The church is not a building, it's a family of brothers and sisters. And in today's culture of this independent individualism, we've created so many spiritual orphans. And in this culture, we have people that, ch- that, that hop from, I call them bunny Christians. They just move from one church to another church to another church because they don't want to be committed or accountable in mutual relationship with other believers. Many people, even in this culture, believe that you can be a great Christian and never go to church. And I don't think that's scriptural. It's not biblical. And all the pastors in the room say, amen. It's just not so. The church is so significant that Jesus went to the cross to die for it, to purchase us, to make us a part of his family. If you go all the way back to Genesis, there was a separation, and that separation was brought back together for us to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God wants us to learn to get along. You know, one of the most amazing passages of scripture is it it says in the Bible where you will know that they are his disciples by their bumper stickers because we got bumper stickers. You'll know that they are his disciples by the cute little stuff we put on our church signs. I love church signs. Wow, do I love them. No, the Bible says that you'll know that they're his disciples by their love one to another. We don't have to agree on everything perfectly to be a part of the family. My brother and I don't agree hardly about anything, to be honest with you, right? Maybe you don't agree with every dot and tittle, as my daddy would say, but that doesn't make us not a part of God's family. We have to learn to love each other in our quirks and our flaws and our faults and our failures. We might as well learn to get along on this side because we're going to worship together in heaven forever. Family is important. And for those of you that have dysfunctional families and this time and this season is tough for you, God in his infinite wisdom gave us the family of God. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I love the family of God sometimes more than I love my own, Right? I've often preached that God sends you your family to prepare you for your enemy. (laughs) Lesson number three, listen to those who are hatched before you. Listen to those who are hatched before you. Don't be a dumb cluck. There's some wise old birds that have had their feathers ruffled and they have survived the scuffle. 
And it's imperative that we learn to listen to the generation that has gone before us. Everything that we experience, we experience in this place today, we experience in our community today because somebody went before us to make it happen. And they deserve to be honored and they deserve to be respected and they deserve to be continually a part of what we do. I think it's important for us to learn to gain wisdom from those who have gone before us. You know, my dad's in heaven. He would have been 98 this year. Most of the people in my life, their parents um, were much younger than my parents. My parents really were old enough to be my grandparents when they had me, which made it really wonderful because I was spoiled rotten in my household as the baby. Seven years past my brother. 24 years past my half-brother. And my dad had all kinds of statements and things that I learned from him because I was just raised by a different generation. And I think we live in a society, hang with me for a second, I really want you to catch this. I think we live in a society that's giving up all of the discipleship in the church and all the raising of our kids to other people. And when we stand before God in heaven and we have to give an account for the gift that he gave us in our kids, we're not going to be able to say, well, the school system... Or, well, you know, Sunday school department, or we don't even have Sunday school anymore, so we, we just put them in the church pew, or, or whatever excuse we want to give. The, the truth is, it's our responsibility to train them in the way that they should go. But, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a community. I don't know, my bus driver could whip me just as quick as my dad could. They went to school together, and he had no problem yanking me up. I, don't, now I know you can't do it today. Maybe that's part of the problem. I don't know. I'm not here to preach about that. In fact, one time, I was, we was probably about 14, 15 miles from home, and my bus driver didn't like how I was acting. He opened the door and said, get off my bus. And you're probably thinking, what would you do? I got off the bus, what I did. I didn't want him to throw me off of it. I got off the bus, right? And I walked home and learned how to act better next time. I was just raised different. And I believe that it's imperative. Listen to me. If you still have a pulse, you still have a purpose. Pass something on to this next generation. Give them something. Pass it on. Pass it on. They need to know the lessons that you learned. They need to know how the old saints used to say, we're praying through. We're going, we're, going, we're, going to get to, we're going to get to praying, and we're going to keep on praying until we pray through. Hello? Does anybody know what that means? I remember one time I came up for prayer, Sister Woods. What's her first name? I have no idea, Sister. And we came up, and I was kneeling down at the front, and I was praying. And she came up to pray with me, and Sister Woods put her hands on the back of my back, and she she began to pray with me, and she says, honey, what you praying about? And I said, I'm just, I'm just praying about God's direction over my life. And so we prayed, and I don't know about you, but, you know, my knees got to hurting a little bit. 
And so when my knees got to hurt and I figured I was done praying, right? Yeah, amen. Now, let's talk. I can sit down and pray, right? You know, but I, I went to get up and Sister Wood shoved me. She said, honey, you ain't done praying yet. And I said, whoa, hang on. I wanted to say hang on, but I was scared to death of her. Because she's one of those old saints that like her and Moses went to Sunday school together. So you didn't, you just knew, man, she'd call a she-bear out of the wilderness to eat you up or something, man. You just didn't mess with her. And so I, 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 I knelt down there for a little bit longer and, uh, and I thought, okay, well, maybe I can get up now. So I went to get up. She shoved me right back down. She says, honey, you ain't even close to praying through. And I looked at her and she says, well, I, I said, well, Sister Woods, how am I going to know when I pray through? And she says, when I tell you that you have prayed through. And I said, yes, ma'am. And so I kept praying until, uh, until she left. And when she left, I figured I had prayed through. But she taught me a valuable lesson is sometimes we give up right before the miracle's about to happen, right before we're about to hear something from God. She taught me that not only do I need to regurgitate all my problems to God, but I needed to stay long enough to hear what he might have to say about my problems. See, we need saints like that in the church that make us uncomfortable sometimes, you know. Psalms 145 says, one generation shall commend the works to another generation so that they can declare your mighty acts. And I believe that Titus teaches us, older women, older women likewise are to be Relevant in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God might be revealed. What is he saying? He's saying older ladies pass on what it means to be a woman of God. Because we have a generation that don't know their right hand from their left hand. Somebody help me tonight. We've got a clueless generation that needs the practical aspects of life. Man, they, they know facts on Google that we don't even know, but they don't know how to balance their checkbook. They don't even know what a checkbook is. If you asked them to write a check, they would have to ask you what it is. We have to help that next generation. We have to pour into that next generation. Oh, I understand they don't sit still the way we would want them to sit still. And I know sometimes they're loud when they're supposed to be quiet. But I'm telling you, it's important that we pass it on. And for those of us in the room that are a little bit younger, can I say, sometimes we need to be quiet and hold our opinions to ourselves and listen what the person that's gone before us is telling us because we just might accidentally learn something. We just might accidentally learn something. It's important that we pass it on. It's important. I don't know that if you know this, but if you start looking at statistics, they're not good. 35 to 42 million young people raised in Christian homes today will walk away from Christ by 2050. 42, up to 42 million will walk away at this current trend. We've got to raise up a generation that sees us living our faith out. 
Friends, God owes us nothing, but he's given us his grace. And he's done these things so wonderfully and so freely. So I just remind you some things that we can learn from a turkey. So in this holiday season, when you look around, you can be reminded of how blessed you are. Could you take some of these principles and put them into practice so that, as James would say, we would not only be hearers of the word of God only, but that we would be doers also. And as we celebrate with our family, may we above all give thanks to God for his goodness and his mercy because it endures forever.